Hello everyone, this is Tommy at World at War Comics, and today we got David Lucarelli on. He is the creator writer of Tinseltown by Alterna Comics. Um, if you haven't read this yet, you need to read it. If you like action adventure stories, you're going to really love this. Um, it uh, follows a young lady named Abby, who uh, dream is to become a police officer, and uh, the way that she gets hired and some of the things that she needs to go through in order to work up to that um, is absolutely amazing. Really um, thoughtful and fun book to read. Um, this is the trade of it, but you could get the individual issues at alternacomics.com. Um, but yeah, you got to check this out. A lot of fun. Um, David also has written the Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade. You want to check out that comic as well. Um, he also is in a band, Dame Fortune. They put out about three CDs. You can go to Spotify and look that up. Um, a lot of fun. But the main thing that's going on with David is he has a current Kickstarter that you should be supporting. Um, if you've read Tinseltown, you know that uh, his writing style and this book is a lot of fun. I personally will be supporting um, the Kickstarter. And what's great about the Kickstarter is there are all kinds of different rewards, including a lot of the music from Dame Fortune, um, a lot of pinup. Um, artists and a lot of pinups that will be available too that you can see in the back here but check them out um david lucarelli without further ado here is our time together i hope you enjoy thanks david for joining and talk soon hello everyone thank you for joining world at war comics today our guest is david lucarelli david how are you today i'm good i'm good i've got my my morning cup of coffee right here so uh yeah <laughs> a, a crucial uh a crucial thing first thing in the morning for me Yes, absolutely. Yeah, don't function too. I'm not sure I function well after either, but I certainly think I function better with coffee. Um, I, I have that same illusion. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, I appreciate you joining me. We had a great uh, opportunity, at least I did, to meet you in person at uh, ValorCon out in Paris, California, a long ways from home for you. Uh, but man, yeah. really cool to see you because I, I did have Tinseltown already. And so I did get through the first uh, um, issue and then I saw you there and then you had the trade, which I thought was real. Here it is. The trade, which I thought was really awesome. So I was able to get through that and, and get more of the story of Abby, which is an incredible story. So oh, thank you. we get into that, man, I would like to kind of take it back. How sure. long have you been a comic book fan? You remember the first time that you read a comic? Has it been a big part of your life or is it something a little bit newer? Uh, no, I've been a fan all my life. I mean, you know, I don't remember the very first comics that I read, but I'm sure by the time I was in kindergarten or first grade, I was definitely reading them. And I think I went to my first convention when I was maybe in second grade. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. It's It's been a lifelong love of the medium for sure. Um, I grew up loving Jack Kirby. And uh, later when when it got into the early 80s artists like Dave Stevens, um, first comics, books like uh, Grimjack and John Sable Freelance. Oh, yeah. And uh, in terms of writers, you know, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, um, early Frank Miller, um, Love the Walking Dead, you know, so all, all that kind of stuff. I, I never really stopped. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad you did it because uh, we got some pretty cool stuff that you've been able to do, I think, uh, because of that. So that's kind of cool. Um, your your first comic book that you you got into, I was kind of doing a little bit. Was it If? 
if no i don't uh oh, which one was your first comment was before there was one before um tinseltown correct oh yeah yeah the children's vampire hunting Brigade. that's it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that was the first time I, I worked with uh tinseltown artist henry ponciano too um so yeah the brigade is kind of a coming of age gothic adventure yeah. um punk rock buffy set in scotland and the reason it's set in scotland it was inspired by the real life gorbel's vampire incident so in 1950s scotland hundreds of school kids went looking for a vampire in this one cemetery in real life uh it was considered mass hysteria at the time but in our book they find it they form the brigade and then a half century later uh, there's a couple delinquents drinking in that graveyard on the night that the vampires come back. <laughs> so uh, there's three volumes in that series, and you can actually get the complete uh, brigade in a nice slip case with some additional unreleased art as part of the uh, Tinseltown Losing the Light Kickstarter. Nice, nice. So the Kickstarter is live right now, correct? Yes, yes. We uh, we have a little more than two weeks to go, and I think we're at about seventy three percent funding. So you know we're do we're we're doing good, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I'm telling you, Kickstarters are amazing, right, for the opportunity, but so nerve wracking, especially when you get down to like we did one too. And that last two weeks, man, I just was looking every day, and it was very nerve wracking. Like, man, did I do it wrong? Is something going on? And yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's very stressful. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you get that dopamine hit every time you get a new backer, and then if if it's been too long between, you start to get that jittery kind of feeling. Like, is it? Is this it? You know. Exactly, exactly. Well, it sounds like there's some pretty cool stuff, though, that is uh, part of the package if you uh, jump in. So I definitely will jump in and I hope others will, too. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, awesome. I mean, I love your writing style. Uh, Tinseltown is an amazing story. Um, Can you tell us how you came about that story? Yeah, sure. So Tinseltown is a it's a period crime drama. It's about one of the first female police officers in Hollywood. Uh, It's been likened to L.A. Confidential meets Boardwalk Empire. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's two graphic novels in the series. Uh, There's the first one um, that you that you just showed uh, Tinseltown. And then um, the second one that the Kickstarter is for is Tinseltown Losing the Light. So um, both of these are director's cut editions, so they're gonna they have uh, five additional pages of comic story to them that aren't in the miniseries they're collecting. Um, in in the case of Tinseltown Losing the Light, it also collects the Tinseltown short Pin Boy, which appeared and it came out on a Wednesday. Um, then there's additional pinups in each volume that haven't been released, and uh, in Losing the Light, there's going to be an introduction by Tony Isabella, who was the is the creator of Black Lightning. Um, so that's and in, in terms of of where I got the idea, um, my mother uh, Miriam Luca Rally was a police officer for 20 years. Um, probably served as a Pittsburgh police officer, and uh, so the, in some some ways, Tinseltown is my tribute to her, awesome. and. Then, you know, I was doing research and I found out that, interestingly enough, around 1915, Universal Studios was kind of a proto-feminist organization in some ways in that they had a female mayor, police chief, police officers. Uh, Now, those officers kind of functioned as a cross between security guards and people there to sort of amuse and assist the tourists, and they weren't above marching them in short skirts and parades to 
appeal to more prurient interests. But um, but I thought that was an interesting dichotomy. And, you know, in doing research for Tinseltown Losing the Light, I, I discovered that they they were not the only studio that had uh, female police officers. Actually, D.W. Griffith's studio mm -hmm. uh, did that as well, in part because uh, those those studios were such huge production factories, and you had thousands of extras coming and going from the lot every day, mm -hmm. and the officers kind of were like school marms, making sure none of the extras went, you know, down a <laughs> corridor, dark alley, and got up to hanky-panky or anything like that. So, um, yeah, and uh, Tinseltown is the story of Abigail Moore. She's the daughter of a fallen police officer. And she originally goes to try to join the LAPD. Um, the LAPD did actually have uh, a limited amount of female police officers at the time, because um, even back then you had female runaways, prostitutes, drug addicts, um, and the male officers obviously didn't feel comfortable doing strip searches and that kind of thing. So they, they hired a, a few uh, female police officers, but there wasn't room for, for Abigail. So she responds to this ad uh, from Utopia Studios where they are, quote, auditioning uh, yeah. for police officers. And uh, so she kind of starts off being not exactly a real cop, but uh, she finds some real life crimes along the way and uh, gets to hone her chops uh, to to become a real police officer. Yeah. And um, in like losing they give her a gun and it has caps in it. Go, yes. Yes. Like, oh, you'll be fine. It was like no big deal. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And they give her they give her a uniform that they call a costume. Yeah. Because, yeah, not everything in, in Hollywood is... costume uniform. Same thing. Pretty much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, in, in losing the light, um, she's returning back to work from some injuries she sustained in volume one. Right. And there's been a series of mysterious accidents on the lot, and she's trying to get to the bottom of those. But meanwhile, there is a big sex scandal with one of the studio's biggest stars that results in protesters on the lot and politicians calling for the banning of her films. And suddenly the studio is uh, looking at some dire financial straits. They're a few weeks away from not being able to make payroll. And uh, a German director approaches them uh, who has just come over from Germany. And, and Germany at this point is engaged in what we now call the, the First World War. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, listen, I've got the answer to all your problems. I want to do a big costume drama. It's not going to cost the studio anything. And to avoid any accidents or problems, we'll, we'll shoot it down in Mexico, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, Abigail Moore's boss, Miss Redwood, says, yeah, this seems a little too good to be true. I want you to go down and chaperone the production and just make sure it's all on the up and up. And um, spoiler alert, it's not uh, all <laughs> hell breaks loose. And yeah. by the end of it, uh, Abigail Amore emerges a changed person for all of the uh, experiences she has in Mexico. Wow. Wow. Sounds amazing. I mean, it's such an adventure. I, I was just going through it and you get kind of sucked into the store and you can't stop. So I, I think oh, thank that's you. What you want in a, in a book, right? In general, yeah. but especially a graphic novel like this. And the artwork is superb throughout. Yeah. The Henry's fantastic. Oh, We've been wor goodness. working together for about 10 years now. And really? 
he was great when we first started working together and he's only he only gets better with every page every panel you know i mean the the i mean i don't know if i could just show a page but yeah it's pretty impressive the artwork oh yeah and then the covers are really cool too and at the back of this you have several different versions of the covers that are just our pinups i should say but they're just amazing so i mean great work good job i mean that's amazing yeah yeah luckily i've had a lot of uh really talented artists that have wanted to do pinups and yeah. and you know i'm i think what we'll do for the kickstarter assuming we make our goal is we'll just keep adding more pinups because i definitely have more artists that that want to do them so that's so cool yeah, I think that's a great idea. And, I, and that's just another reason why you should back it because there's all kinds of cool things that you could get out of it too. Yeah, yeah. We've got, you know, uh, three soft en enamel pins that you can mm -hmm. get on, at one reward level. And that's the Tinseltown logo and Abby's face and a badge 226, which <laughs> was also my mom's badge number. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And we've got, a, if you're into pinups, we have uh, a Prince uh, reward uh, level and um all kinds of good stuff really yeah that's awesome that's awesome so how did you partner with alterna and peter over there yeah so originally i had done uh tinseltown as a graphic novel and i i just blindly submitted it to alterna and they they uh wanted to publish it but right around that time they had just started the newsprint line mm -hmm. where they print um books on newsprint like comic books used to yeah. and um which is kind of neat because it, they look and they feel and they smell like old yeah. comics it does uh, yeah, it brings you back for sure yeah and it uh, and you can get the single issues through the kickstarter as well um yeah. and it allows them to keep the price point fairly low i think they they started out a dollar 50 now they're dollar yeah. 99 they're about to go up to 225 but um it's the least expensive comic book you're gonna buy is an alternate comic book it and, is uh I, I love that as a comic fan and I, I love reading a lot of stories. Um, you know, some of the comics have gotten so expensive. Oh, I know. I know. Like yeah. 999 for some of them. And they're like a monthly comic. I'm like, I mean, I'll, I'll get one for sure to try it out, but man, to, to pour out 120 bucks a year for one comic. I mean, it, yeah, it's, an, it's lot, an right? investment <laughs> at that point, especially when you, you know, consider how far we've come from 64 pages for a dime yeah exactly. <laughs> um but so, yeah so anyhow so they said hey you know would you like to publish it as a as a series and I said sure I'd kind of divided the pacing up uh in Tinseltown so that it could easily be divided that way anyhow mm -hmm. and um so then it was just a matter of you know fine-tuning some things and coming up with the additional covers and and um yeah so so that's that's how I, I i got with alterna now they published uh the first graphic novel um but now they've kind of shifted their business model a little bit and they're just doing individual issues okay so i'm actually going to put out the second graphic novel uh on my own imprint which is abacab studios yep. but peter Samedi, the head of the company is designing the graphic novel so it's going to look you know very consistent with the the first oh. one. Oh, that's great that's great to hear you want that consistency especially if you're a collector yeah um, you like yeah. to have a little bit of consistency so that's cool yeah and i wanted to go back to um the children's vampire hunting is that through alternate as well no no so that one i originally self-published the first four issues okay and then i was at a con and i got approached by a company called creator's edge and nice. they said hey we'd like to put this together as a graphic novel and publish it and uh so they did and then they published volume 
two. Okay. Um, and then uh, they it, it, after that they stopped publishing other people's stuff. So <laughs> so I put out volume three through uh, Abacab Studios. Gotcha. Okay, very good. And do you have a website, David, that people could go to, or how do they get their hands on that? Yeah. So um, abacabstudios.com is uh, the kind of my hub of all the projects I'm doing. Um, just like the Genesis song, A-B-A-C-A-B, <laughs> um, studios.com. Yeah. And uh, in terms of I'm on the net, I'm at David B. Lucarelli on Facebook and at David Lucarelli on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can usually find me in one of those two places. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's get into some of the music. Uh, you've always sure. been a big fan of rock for a very long time. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about, because uh, I think that's an ongoing thing as well, right? Yeah, I mean, sort or... of. I, You know, um, Dame Fortune is, is the band that I'm a member of, and we're not really a fully active band at this point. I still uh, record and, and release new the occasional new song here and there under the name but you know we were mostly we were active throughout the 2000s we released three cds and a dvd and then since then we've sporadically put out uh songs here and there but if you were into like kiss or motley Crue or guns and roses that kind of thing that's the sort of thing that we that we do and you can actually um there's a a, a music bundle uh a reward level for the kickstarter too oh, where you cool. can you can get the music and we'll, we'll send you all the, the physical stuff because it has the lyrics and the pictures and everything, but also um, digital uh, copy, high res copies of everything as well. And um, I also speaking of music, I, there's a couple of related projects that I do. I, I do a yeah. podcast called Rock Album Analysts, nice. uh, where we take a myself and a couple of lifelong friends and fellow musicians. We take a deep dive into a different rock album each week and we've gone through the entire catalog of kiss motley Crue, guns and roses um right right now we're kind of doing a just started it back up again we're doing uh best of hair metal kind of thing so we just did rat out of the cellar and we're going to do uh twisted sister stay hungry um also kind of tangentially music related uh i've written uh, and produced a couple of plays oh wow so most recently, uh, last year, I wrote and directed a play for the Hollywood Fringe Fest called Crude, um, which is about a fictitious uh, 80s hard rock band that comes out, out of the gutters of Hollywood and becomes a cultural phenomenon and how for one brief shining moment, all things seem possible that is in no way legally related to Motley Crue or endorsed by them or any of their members. <laughs> but uh, but we had two sold out runs of that and wow. we filmed uh, a version of the show too. So that's available as an on-demand pay-per-view that there's a reward level for on the Kickstarter as well. Wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Kickstarter is all inclusive. It is. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it, man. I love it. And then what what do you do for a living? I I looked it up, right? I you mentioned it, um, an ADR. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So can you share with us uh, what you do for 20th Century Fox? Yeah. So um, ADR stands for Automated Dialogue Replacement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically what it is, is actors and actresses come in in post-production for TV and film and we record their voices usually to add or change uh, lines of dialogue either because 
they're changing the line or the sound quality is not uh not good mm -hmm. so they they watch themselves on screen and they hear three beeps and then where the fourth imaginary beep is hopefully they speak more or less in sync uh with themselves to yeah. redo the dialogue um i'm actually i was at 20th century fox for a little bit more than 20 years now i'm primarily at a place called periscope post and audio uh, in Hollywood, but I still go back and forth a little bit uh, if 20th Century Fox needs me. So, you know, it, it's it been cool. It's it's a, a good day job to have. I get to work with a lot of top uh, directors and actors and actresses. And I think one of the things is that it's, it's listening to them change and, and sometimes hone dialogue to make it as effective as it possibly can be for 20 plus years, I think has given me a, a pretty good ear for writing dialogue. For sure. I mean, that's gotta be a, a huge training over the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How different is it from a TV show or a movie to a comic book? Is it, is there a lot of principles that are the same you think? Um, you know, obviously if, you, if it's a, a TV show or a movie, you're, you are a cog in a much larger machine you know mm -hmm. there's probably hundreds if not thousands of people that are working on uh, a big budget tv show or movie versus if you're doing comics the team is usually relatively small uh the letterer myself henry um you know the the publisher so probably not more than four or five people but as far as like uh, laying out the story, right, you're doing it panel by panel in a comic book. I wonder yeah. how close that is when you're working like on a TV show. If I'm obviously not broken down to that small, but I think I'm just guessing, right? I have no idea, but mm -hmm. maybe they're kind of playing out the story in the same fashion, almost like a panel. I don't know if that's true or no. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I use final uh, draft when I write my rough scripts for Henry and the way way we work is I, I give him a panel by panel breakdown, but mm -hmm. always with the caveat that uh, if he has a better idea how to break it up or uh, yeah. perspective on panels to let him do that because he is the artist. Yeah. Uh, and then he gives me roughs back. And if I have any notes I, about changes, I give him the notes and then he gives me finals. And if I have any notes about changes after that, he'll do them, but then there's an additional charge uh, at that point. And usually there, I don't have any notes. We've been working together for so long now, we can pretty much read each other's minds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, animation too, they, they tend to hyper-focus and be very granular and, and see the, the film one frame at a time. So, so yeah, there, there are definitely some parallels between the way that movies and, and, and comics work. I guess, you know, it, in comics, you can manipulate the sense of space and time in terms of size of panels and how long it you spend on each scene but there is still the factor that the person that's reading the comic is kind of in control of their own pace to a certain degree as well versus like television and film you're more or less at the mercy of the shots provided and the length of the shots as you're experiencing it yeah yeah that's a good point yeah 
Interesting. And then tell us, you know, I, I like to ask a lot of creators and writers this question, but how important is that relationship between the artist and the writer? Because you, you can only say so much in a comic book um, page per page. And the art, according to my experience, it seems like it's extremely important to lead to the next panel or to maybe tell a part of the story that you just don't have the space to, to do in a written form. I don't know if that makes sense. It's almost a sure. dance between the writer and the the artist. And when it's done well, right, you, you really walk away with something very enjoyable to read. And when it's not done well, you almost feel like two people are supposed to be working on a project, almost like in high school, when you randomly get picked to work with another person on some project that you have to do for your final. And neither of you have anything in common. And you could tell the, the finished product right, are two separate things, even though they should have been one thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's a process to work to make sure that they are complementary but not redundant you know yeah. like if you if you have a panel of batman smashing his fist through a mirror you probably don't need to say batman was angry right i mean it's, it's <laughs> exactly. sort of self-evident uh unless you're you want to do an alfred hitchcock and and show the statue of liberty and and right underneath it new york city is yeah. kind of a nod and a wink that you know yeah. <laughs> to the audience that you know that they know but you're just being coy yeah. um <laughs> but but yeah henry henry's great at that i mean the interesting thing about comics is is you're you're looking at key sort of parts of scenes and then the mind fills in what happens in between each panel and if you do it right it should be a seamless process um in losing the light we're expanding it a little bit mostly for for just for pacing reasons mm -hmm. and what i found is that it's almost like a balloon once you start to decompress one section then you really have to pay attention to the sections around it because then they start to feel a little rushed and so to make it consistent you end up having to kind of decompress that whole area if that makes sense right. <laughs> interesting interesting yeah wow well i appreciate that um the other question i had was uh you know when i uh, spoke to you over the weekend um, you mentioned you had a little bit of time due to the strike. I was wondering oh, yeah. if we could talk a little bit about the strike. I think there's a lot. I mean, if you read the news, right, everyone has an opinion as to why everything's happening. Um, I would love to to hear from a person who's actually affected by the strike. Like, what is the true purpose of the strike? What is the goals out of the strike? How is it affecting people? I think people need to realize there's a, a whole host of people that are somewhat behind the scenes that are a major, major um, part of any production getting done, any story being told. But a lot of times we don't see that, right? We see the movie star, we see it in the theater, but you don't right. realize everything that's happening behind. And uh, I, I just would like to open it up to you to maybe share what you're experiencing and what uh, the real reasons as to why this is taking place. Yeah, sure. I mean, I am a writer, but I'm not a member of the Writers' Union, but I am a member of... Um the the sound union essentially right. and uh so for me personally the last couple of months prior to the strike there was some work but it was very very slow mm -hmm. and uh if, as soon as the strike hit work just fell off a cliff because uh a lot of the tv shows and movies simply didn't either didn't go into production in anticipation of the strike and they didn't want to have the strike fall while they were in production or they were in production and they simply stopped production because of it 
And uh, so, yeah, while the strike's been going on for a couple of weeks now, for me, it's really been going on for about 10 weeks because of that, you know. Um, and in terms of, of, of the whys and everything from the strike, I, I, I think the writers have a lot of very valid issues. Um, the, you know, the last time they went on strike, uh, streaming was really a new thing and the studios kind of said, Hey, this is so brand new. We don't even know if we're ever going to make any money from this. So we can't really work out a, a big deal with you guys. And now of course the whole paradigm has shifted and clearly, uh, there is money being made in streaming and it's been more difficult for the writers too because although we're living in kind of a golden age of television uh that golden age is oftentimes it means less episodes so a series might only have eight episodes and that might be eight episodes every year or every two years sometimes and you know versus the network model was about you know 20 22 episodes a season so yeah, all of a sudden now you have these these writers that are trying to eke out a living and they've got less than half the episodes and they're making less and they're not necessarily making the same kinds of royalties or residuals off those episodes because they're streaming and you know they're not getting money for when these things go into syndication because they don't really go into syndication if they start out streaming. Um and then you on top of that you have the whole factor of ai and that's that's a whole pandora's box that i think is gonna radically change uh the entire industry um, and probably affect writers and sound people and everybody else in between so you know they they're trying to figure out exactly what that means and studios don't even really want to talk about that at this point um i i think you know ai has great potential it's also very very scary to me um you know right now we have text to image Mm -hmm. stuff and now they have what they call uh text to to video which is more like text to gif at this point in the beta stages but you could see where five, 10 years from now that could evolve into uh, voice to text to yeah. real video where you'd simply go home and say, hey, show me a movie in which uh, I'm the star and Harrison Ford co-stars and it's set in 1957 New York and go, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really so. Yeah, scary stuff, right? There's got to be a lot of rules kind of put in place as to how AI could be used because it's taking the human element out. And although it sounds fascinating, right, with the ability of of AI, um, I I think that human element in storytelling is extremely important. Um, Yeah, people might regret it down the road if everything AI starts taking over and all of a sudden you get these weird stories where there's no human element to it. So there's no relatability to it. I mean, we're seeing the same thing in uh, comic book art as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of comic book artists are freaking out over it. And I get it because, you know, (laughs) to be honest, a lot of comic book companies 
don't have the best reputation when it comes to wanting to pay artists or pay them a fair wage. And so, you know, it's only a matter of time until some bottom feeding company comes along and goes, yeah, we'll just do all of our art AI and then maybe hire an artist to touch up the hands, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's scary stuff. And there's been a, a big pushback. Um, you could follow it on Twitter of artists, you know, saying, guys, we, we got to stop this or, or no one's going to have a job. And it's different art, right? There's there's not that intricacy that you could tell from a, a real artist putting a, a pen to paper. It's uh, It looks amazing. Don't get me wrong. The AI um, looks incredible, but it's it's you could tell it's not done by a human. Right. And uh, I think that's really important, too. I mean, you, you look at some of these artists out there. I mean, D.C. has Jorge Jimenez, who's from Brazil. Incredible artist. I would hate for that kind of art to go away. Right. Even the old Frank Miller, you mentioned Frank Miller stuff, um, even his old stuff with Daredevil and, and some of the other stuff that he did. I mean, that that's iconic. Todd McFarlane. How do you remove all of that and just make it like nothing? I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's really scary stuff. And, and there's got to be rules around AI and how it's used because uh, it could create a lot of havoc. And uh, I would hate for that human element to be gone myself. Yeah, me too. And and the great artists have always been stylists, too. Yes. I mean, you can you can pick out. Uh, and the interesting thing about Frank is he would frequently just reinvent his entire exactly. art style from project to project, which yeah. is pretty amazing in and of itself. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think AI will probably be pretty good at mimicking the house style of, of Marvel or DC. But it's not you're not going to have uh, a creator like Jack Kirby uh, yeah. come along, you know, that, that's that's AI. I mean, that's yeah, you need a, a human being for that. Exactly, exactly. Now, interesting stuff. Sorry that uh, you have to go through that. And uh, but I've seen a lot of people out in the picket line. So it seems like there's a lot of support. Um, right yeah, I think so. I th that. Like this is this is something worth fighting for. I think so. Now, interestingly enough, I think the actors and directors contracts are set to expire in the beginning of June. So <laughs> as much as things are pretty much at a standstill <laughs> in the industry right now, yeah. uh, they could very easily be, you know, a dead stop all across the board in just a couple of weeks. Um, but we'll we'll see. Fingers crossed. Eventually, I'm sure a deal of some kind will be will be brokered. Yeah, yeah, we hope so. Um, but I, I mean, I just read some articles of some writers. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was one young lady um, who showed a picture of her streaming residual uh -huh. on a pretty big. Uh, um, I think it was a Netflix. And uh, she did, she wrote two episodes. Again, I, I wish I would have wrote her name down, but she showed yeah. a residual check. She got one cent for the, <laughs> <laughs> the first episode that she did. And then she got two cents for the second um, a month. Okay. So, I mean, that is just crazy that you would be kind of the mind behind, like, obviously there's a creator and then there's a writer who takes that creation and brings it to life that you would bring this yeah. to life and you're getting paid pennies um for something that has millions of streams like I, I just it just seems crazy to me that that would even be allowed but to your point you know when it first started you know that no one knew streaming would be as big and I'll be honest with you in our house all we do is stream I mean 
I have cable right. for sports, but outside of sports, I never watch cable. I don't think I've watched anything. I think my daughters were watch like American Idol or something. But outside of that, that's yeah. And even if I miss it, I just go to Hulu and rewatch it so I don't have to have commercials and stuff. So um, streaming is definitely taken over and something needs to be done for writers because to your point, shorter episodes, less episodes. Um, and uh, it seems like the current deal that they have is not real great for streaming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I wish that, you know, my it's funny because my wife and I were just trying to figure out, like, can we completely cut the cord? Can we get rid of cable and just do streaming? And it's it's like there's really only about maybe 12 or 14 channels that we actually watch out of the hundreds that you get in cable. And, it's, and unfortunately, they don't really offer an a la carte package like they do in Europe where you can just go just give me these channels, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> With the popular streaming, you think that they would do that because um, that would, I think simplify things and probably cause less people to cut the cord if you could just pick what you need and then have a pricing structure around that but that'll never happen yeah <laughs> they're gonna get their hundred probably not no what. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so i mean uh david you, you got a lot going on uh, it seems like which is really exciting we have the kickstarter which is really cool yep. um right now so when you go to kickstarter it's tinseltown that they look up under kickstarter yeah, if you just look up Tinseltown or actually Tinseltown Losing the Light okay. uh, in the graphic novels, comics category, it should come right up. Yeah. And uh, we're, like I said, we're live until the end of uh, May, and we're about 73% funded right now. Yeah. So um, check it out, watch the video, see if it might be something you're interested in. Yeah, no, that, that could be super exciting. I'm I'm pulling for you. I'll definitely share it on our social media and hopefully get the word out there and maybe one or two people will jump on board. I, I, not that I have uh, that's, a power, but we have a lot of fo uh, followers, so I'm hoping that we could do it. Awesome. I appreciate your support, and uh, it, it's been a pleasure talking to you and great yeah. meeting you at the con. Yeah, it was great meeting you. You know, there's another one in Paris, by the way. I don't know if you've been hit. Oh, up is there? There is, yeah. No, no. Uh, uh, June 10th. Um, and it's supposed to be about oh, okay. times the size as this one. So um, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll send you an email with some information if you're interested. Um, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Are you doing a Revolution, I think it's called, out in Ontario at all? or? No, I've done Revolution before two or three times. I'm not doing it this year, gotcha. but uh, maybe, maybe in the future. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've never been to it, to be honest. So... Um, yeah, Comic Con Revolution in Ontario. I'm gonna try it this time and see what happens. Just walk it and, and yeah, it. it's a cool little con. I think you'll probably enjoy it. I mean, uh, in terms of like local cons, have you been to WonderCon? I have. WonderCon is uh, is really cool. I, I enjoy WonderCon a lot because um, I'll yeah, be that's one of my favorites. San, yeah, I don't do San Diego. It's just too big, too expensive, um, and I yeah. live two and a half hours away. So you got to get a hotel, and it's hard to find and I mean, I love it. It's pretty exciting to be there, but it's just too big. Um, yeah. I don't, don't want to yeah. stand in line. I, we already go to Disneyland enough. I don't want to stand any more lines, to be honest. I Believe me, I know. I know. <laughs> After I, I come back from San Diego, I can't. The thought of standing another line is just like <laughs> anathema. Like, I can't do it. <laughs> do you do uh, San Diego, too? Um, I've. I have done it a couple of times. Really? Uh, I'm going to be there this year, uh, not not exhibiting, but just as a civilian. But I, I put in to do a couple panels, so we'll oh, see good. if they if they get approved. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. 
Well, David, I, I'm super excited to meet you. Um, thank you for uh, signing my trade. That'll go. Oh, my pleasure. Everybody else that's been on the show. So I have a, a wall where I'm starting to stick everybody's uh, signed a book on the wall. So I'll throw you up there. Oh, too. great. So great to meet you. Um, congratulations on all your success around uh, Tinseltown and everyone. Go to that Kickstarter and check it out. Let's support David and uh, make sure that he hits that goal. Sounds good, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Take care. You too.